Thanks again, Mal. Uh, do keep your Bibles open there at Revelation 3 and 4. 4 and 5, my apologies. <laughs> As we have a look at that passage together, uh, let's pray. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for your word. We thank you that in your word, the Bible, you teach us about yourself. You teach us uh, how we live as your people. Help us as we read uh, today to understand what we're reading and help us uh, to see how uh, through your word we can be growing as followers of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure you've heard of uh, oxymorons. <coughs> what is an oxymoron? The Cambridge English Dictionary defines it as a figure of speech that combines two contradictory terms. Uh, Merriam-Webster uh, defines an oxymoron as a combination of contradictory or incongruous words or a concept that is made up of contradictory or incongruous elements. Uh, some examples, got to be cruel to be kind, old news, uh, an open secret, the living dead, Deafening silence, uh, pretty ugly. <laughs> Shakespeare's line from Romeo and Juliet, why then, O brawling love, O loving hate? Uh, what about uh, two of these old favourites? Army intelligence um, and Microsoft Works. Microsoft did well to change the name of that product, I reckon. Only took them 30 years. Uh, there's a phrase in Revelation chapter 5 that many people read as an oxymoron. Uh, chapter 5, verse 12, a great heavenly host sings in praise to Jesus, worthy is the lamb who was slain. How is a slain lamb worthy? Especially as they go on to sing about what the slain lamb is worthy of, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Uh, it seems to many people to be a contradictory statement. It's Oxymoronic to suggest that a slain, slain lamb could be worthy of such praise. Worthy is the lamb who was slain indeed. Uh, we'll see what that means as we look at chapter 4 and 5 of Revelation today. What we'll often see in Revelation, especially as we see the heavenly perspective on life, that well, what seems wrong or strange or contradictory to human eyes and ears makes perfect sense in God's eyes. John's second vision begins in chapter 4 and really now extends to the end of the book. It starts with a view into heaven itself. Uh, follow along with me again. Chapter 4 and from verse 2. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. Now, the spirits there, the seven spirits, as we've seen before uh, in verse 5, can also be translated the sevenfold spirit. Uh, 
the Holy Spirit is there, God the Spirit is there, uh, and, and so is God the Father. <laughs> this is a vision of the throne, God's throne in heaven. We'll, we'll see this in a minute. Uh, this is a vision of the heavenly throne room. Uh, it's reminiscent of throne visions in the Old Testament. Revelation is full of allusions to the Old Testament, uh, similar in style to much Old Testament prophecy and writing. This is no exception. Uh, compare Exodus verses 9 to 11. This is a passage we looked at last term. Uh, this is Moses and the elders of Israel at Mount Sinai. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of uh, lapis lazuli, as bright, uh, as bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. The prophet Ezekiel gets a glimpse of the heavenly throne room. Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. Above the vault over their heads was what looked like a throne of uh, lapis lazuli and High above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looks like a glowing metal as if full of fire. And that from there down, he looked like fire and a brilliant light surrounded him, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. So was the radiance around him. You see similar elements, similar language being used. The visions are similar because... Well, they're visions of the same thing, God on his throne. John's vision in Revelation 4 has God being praised by these four living creatures. Uh, together they represent well, some of the most powerful earthly creatures made by God. Often in Revelation, the number four represents earth or aspects of the earth. These four living creatures represent uh, God's creation, the earthly creatures God has made. Uh, apart from man, the animals named there, also the lion, the ox, and the eagle, all powerful creatures that we use to symbolize strength and power in the world. Uh, the lion is the king of the jungle. Uh, he adorns our beloved Brisbane lions, if you're an AFL fan. Uh, the eagle, the symbol of the, the current greatest world superpower, the United States of America. The golden ox is a popular steakhouse in Redcliffe. Um, but also a symbol of, of strength and power and might. Uh, and mankind, uh, as the third living creature, uh, is the one to whom God has given dominion over all the earth. Yet these are all simply represented as beings created by God and before his throne in heaven, they give allegiance to him. Uh, chapter 4, from the middle of verse 6. In the centre... Around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings, day and night. They never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come repeated there some parts of God's self-description from chapter 1 verse 8. The one on the throne is the eternal, holy, almighty God of the universe. The praise for God continues forever, not just from the four living creatures, but from all of God's people. We see the 24 elders next, uh, already mentioned, 
a few verses earlier, uh, the, these 24 elders who fall down and worship God along with the four living creatures. And most scholars agree that the 24 elders, uh, two, group, two groups of 12 representing uh, the 12 groups, uh, 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles, uh, symbolic of all of God's people under both the Old and New Covenants. Uh, follow along from chapter 4, verse 9, see what's said of them there. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. God is worthy. Uh, he is the Lord God, the creator and sustainer of all things. Nothing even exists apart from God. And so all things, all creatures, all people owe their allegiance to God. Uh, again, this is reminiscent of the praise of God by, uh, written uh, by, by the Old Testament prophets. Look at Isaiah's vision of God on his throne. Isaiah 6, verses 1 to 3. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. John's vision of heaven is incredible. Amazing. But you can't just stop there and think, yes, God is great. Because more must be said of the greatness of God, of the worship of God. More than one religion could give assent to the worship of God in Revelation chapter 4. A Jewish person reading this could agree with it as, as much as a Christian. But chapter 4 is the, only the first part of John's vision of heaven. There's more to come from the heavenly throne room. More to come that uh, lifts this well beyond uh, just a Jewish worship of God. John sees a scroll in the hand of God as he sits on the throne. Uh, the scroll is a common symbol of apocalyptic literature. Uh, the one who receives the vision or the message uh, is often commanded to write it on a scroll and seal it up. Apocalyptic is often secret writing, sealed up to be opened when the time was right to reveal the secret. That's what apocalypse means, a re a reveal revealing, revealing of truth. There's a scroll here in the hand of the one who sits on the throne and well, now is the time for what's written on the scroll to be revealed. Uh, but the question is, who can open the scroll? Chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll, with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. 
Now, we've just had an amazing vision of the Creator God, the one who sits on the throne in heaven, who is constantly praised by all his creatures and by all his people. Is he not worthy to open the scroll? It's in his hands, but not even he can open it. Who can reveal God's plan of salvation? Who can tell the story of God's judgment of sin and salvation of his people? That's what's in the scroll, and we'll see more of that in coming chapters. But who can open the scroll and reveal this truth to the world? The voice John hears gives the answer. The Lion of Judah, the one who has triumphed, is able to open the scroll. Uh, Notice the word there, triumphed. Uh, This is past tense, a completed action. The victory has already been won. Uh, And the lion, uh, one of the four living creatures, which is fitting, isn't it? He is worthy to break the seal and open the scroll. Because he has already won the victory. Victory has already been won, but the story of God's plan for the world's future, that's still to be told in order to encourage and embolden God's people. Because as we read through Revelation, it's patently clear that the end has not yet come. This is where the seemingly contradictory images come in. This is where many people simply can't get past the apparent oxymoron because John hears the voice, say, the Lion of Judah, the Root of David, but then look at what he turns and sees. Chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Such a seemingly paradoxical shift between what is heard and what is seen no longer the powerful image of the lion of judah but a a weak image of a slain lamb the vision is telling us that these two are one and the same the lamb is standing at the center of the throne the lamb is the one worthy to open the scroll because of the fact the lamb has been slain this is exactly what jesus has already told us about himself Uh, At the very start of the book, John introduces Jesus, uh, the one, he says, who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Uh, And in chapter 1, verses 17 to 18, uh, Jesus says this to John, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. The triumph of the Lion of Judah is found in the Lamb's victory over sin and death. Uh, And Jesus is exactly where he told us he would be. Uh, Back in chapter 3, verse 21, uh, To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. We read that at the end of chapter 3, and now we see in the vision of heaven, this is exactly where Jesus is. Again, uh, past tense, uh, completed victory, just as I was victorious. 
because of Jesus' work on the cross. Jesus is now and forever reigning in heaven with God. Remember our tagline for this series, The Lamb Wins. Uh, This is just what John's readers need to hear. In the middle of all their trouble and temptation, oppression and persecution, with all the issues they face from both inside and outside the church. We were looking at this last week in the the letters to the seven churches, full of trouble. This is just what John's readers need to hear. This is just what we need to hear too. Today, as God's people, as as those awaiting our Saviour's return, uh, as God's people enduring hardship and suffering, living with temptation and the constant effects of sin, in our lives and in the world, in our churches, living with the opposition and ridicule that is so often directed at God. We need to hear and remember that Jesus is victorious here and now. He is the victor. He has triumphed. Uh, And despite appearances at times, despite what we see in the world, the truth is, Nothing can change Jesus' victory. There's nothing uncertain about Jesus' victory over sin and death. So crucial to remember when we're facing opposition or when we're struggling with temptation or sin, when we're struggling with the suffering and hardship that comes our way. Jesus' victory over sin and death has been completed. All of that hardship, all of that suffering... The effects of sin, it's all temporary because the lamb has already won. And because of Jesus' defeat of sin, his victory over death, he is praised just as God the Father is praised. The four living creatures and the 24 elders now fall down before the lamb just as they did for God, they do for Jesus. Both are on the throne and they sing about the worthiness of the lamb to open the scroll. Uh, Follow with me from chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. It's... uh, There's a paradox, and it may seem oxymoronic that such victory would accompany, be achieved by the seemingly weak and powerless figure of a slain lamb. Uh, That the lamb is also the lion is a paradox at the heart of the Christian faith. But it's because he is the slain lamb that he was able to purchase people for God, as it says, from every tribe. Every language, every people, every nation. It's because he purchased us by his blood that we can be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. Remember our Exodus series last term, this has always been God's plan for his people. And as God's people, we will reign on earth. Uh, Just as God planned from the start, we will rule the earth under him in the new heavens and the new earth. Not imperfectly as we do now in this sin-stained world, but perfectly one day in the new heaven and the new earth. The paradox of the Christian life 
reflects the paradox of the lion and the lamb. There is this tension between the now and the not yet. Uh, we identify with our Lord, the lamb who was slain to save us from sin, and so we suffer as Christ suffered. Jesus promised his disciples it would be that way. Uh, the experience of the church in John's day bears that out, and the experience of the church today bears that out. Yet we also identify with our Lord, the Lion of Judah. We are already victorious, already citizens of heaven, as the Apostle Paul says, because Jesus has won the victory and now rules in heaven. And it's only a matter of time until he returns to take us home. The Lion and the Lamb may seem like an oxymoron, two conflicting ideas that shouldn't really go together, but... That's what oxymorons are. They are seemingly conflicting ideas that actually combine to make a perfectly sensible point. And the lion and the lamb, they make perfect sense together when you understand what they mean. There's no confusion, no, no doubt or contradiction in the minds of the heavenly host. Uh, the heavenly host praised the lamb in John's vision. Chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a vo loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. And this heavenly host uh, is joined by all of God's creation. Chapter 5, verses 13 to 14. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Surely there's no the worship due to God. No clearer way of, of, of describing the worship due to Jesus. These songs of praise say it all. Jesus is on the throne. He, he was on the throne when John was given this vision and he still is today. Now, we can be confident of this. Revelation, uh, the book of Revelation could potentially end right here. Uh, it could end right here and we could all know just exactly what we need to know. The Lamb wins. Jesus is the only one worthy to reveal God's plan to the world because he's the one who has done what was needed to rescue his people. And he is the one who will bring about the consummation of God's victory, the final establishing of his heavenly kingdom in the new heavens and the new earth. We know by the end of chapter 5 here today that this is what we look forward to. This is the end that has been guaranteed by Christ's past work. But Revelation doesn't end there. The seals will be opened. <laughs> You'd be glad to know. Uh, and we get to see from God's perspective everything that's been achieved and everything that will happen to bring about God's plans for his world. There's much more to see and, and be revealed as we revel in the victory of God, as we're encouraged by the power and might of our holy God as we see all that we have to look forward to as his people. We will be powerfully encouraged by the book of Revelation. 
And this should drive us, uh, as the knowledge of Jesus' sacrifice for sin on our behalf must do, to simply worship him, because he is worthy. We're going to pray. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We praise you because you are the almighty, the all-powerful creator God. And we praise you for your might and power in salvation. We praise you for the image of the lion and the lamb. We praise you that through your son, Jesus, Salvation has been provided. We praise you that through Jesus' sacrifice, that seemingly weak event of Jesus' death on the cross, that through this sin and death are defeated. We praise you that Jesus is alive and lives and reigns in heaven with you. We praise you that through faith in Jesus, We can have the wonderful confidence of forgiveness for sin, the wonderful confidence that death is not the end and that there is a wonderful uh, hope, a wonderful and glorious future to look forward to in eternity with you. We praise you for all of this, Lord. We praise you for what has been done, what has been achieved by your son Jesus, the lamb who was slain. Help us to live our lives in worship of him, Lord. Help us to give him the glory and the praise. Help us show him to others which remind our own selves daily of his power and his goodness and his love. Help us to give all honour and praise to your son Jesus. We do this, might you be glorified, Lord, and might your church be built up. We pray this in Jesus' name.